morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Dodgers knocked the Giants out on a check swing in the bottom of the ninth. I guess if you're going to lose, at least it's good to have something to complain about. That call. You know, they hadn't gotten the call. I don't know that they were going to score the tie or winning run and win the game, but hey, it's something to beef about. Great series, great game, and the Dodgers move on. The Dodgers and Red Sox, the wild cards, knock out 100-win teams, the teams with the best record in the league, the 100-win Rays and the 107-win Giants. So, on we go in the baseball playoffs. Boston and the Houston Astros tonight, the ALCS, will get underway. All right, DJ and PK, there's plenty more going on tonight, a lot of college football. We can talk about that coming up. But right now, we are going to check in with Craig Bowlerjack and talk a little Utah Jazz. Here is Bowler with PK and I joining us late in yesterday's show. Let's get Bowler in for some donut talk. Bowler, oh. how are you? Oh, donuts. Yeah. So you guys, Elsie, in the Midwest, we call those caramel long johns. What? Yeah. What? What? I've never heard yeah. that. You never heard of a long john? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is that like a so a maple bar would be a caramel long john? Yes. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'd walk yeah. past that too then. <laughs> you can have mine, Bowler. Not my thing. Uh, let's see. I like the old fashioned. Yeah. I'll fight you over that. Yep. I'd go for that in a big time. And if it's a good um, apple fritter, it has to be kind of done right, you know. Mm. Uh, I'd go for an apple fritter. Old-fashioned, long john, and uh, an apple fritter. <laughs> long john, that's classic. <laughs> All right, Buller, let's, uh, let's talk a little Utah Jazz basketball. I think there are uh, two questions in my mind, but other people probably have others. There's, there's two that jump out at me. One could not be answered because Rudy Gay can't go yet until he recovers from the heel surgery. How much he'll be used, how he'll be used uh, in combination with which other players, how often will they go small, all those questions we can just push down the road. We'll get to them later when he can play. Then the other thing is, man, Butler looks good. Who does he play with? How often does he play? Does he play when Conley is out? Does anyone else get minutes when Conley is out? How do those shift around? What is the immediate future for Butler in the Jazz rotation? I don't know that we have answers, but we can at least have semi-educated guesses, even if they're wrong. What's your semi-educated guess? Well, the semi-educated guess would be that he would be in the second unit rotation at the moment. Trent Forrest, before the concussion on Monday night, uh, with battling Jared Butler for some of those minutes or those minutes as well. But with, uh, you know, Trent out under the NBA concussion protocol, I mean, the door opens for Jared Butler and he's taking advantage of and showing what really why he's an NCAA champion and let, uh, let the Baylor Bears to the title. I'm impressed. I mean, in the three games he's played, um, he's done about everything that you could imagine a rookie could do. I like the fact that last night uh, he led Utah back uh, after trailing by eight down the stretch, and uh, the Jazz were able to, to rally back and grab a four-point win. And during that time, uh, Budenholzer really went with his starters most of the second half while the Jazz set uh, Mike and Donovan, Rudy and Royce and Bogdanovich. So hats off to the younger younger players uh, to, to really just refocus and bounce back and get a win last night uh, because it was their game in the second half. 
So can we say that Jared Butler has demanded and earned playing time and that he must receive it? Well, that's Quinn's Quinn's ultimate decision. But for my chair, I mean, I think what everyone has seen is that he's a talented guy. Hard to, you know what it does, PK, is he has worked hard enough to show, I think, most of us or all of us that he deserves time. So um, the way he ran, I mean, the offense last night and just was able to stay cool and calm and do his thing and help the team. Uh, you know, we interviewed him after the game last night and, you know, he made it very clear that he, he feels like he's earned the, the, the right um, I mean, 18 points and seven assists. He fouled out, if I'm not mistaken, what was it, the last couple of minutes of the ball game. So, Macy Oteague, his, his college uh, teammate, had to kind of take over and continue the, the quest of getting the win. But, you know, he averaged 19 points, nearly 19 points in the preseason in the three games. And, I mean, you guys saw what I saw. He seems to have play at his own pace. Uh, he made a very clear last night that he understands he has to continue to get his teammates involved. And I thought he did a good job overall. Um, and he's got a nice shot. Uh, he seems to, again, play with a chip on his shoulders, he told us, uh, because of health concerns. He slipped down to 40 in the draft, and the Jazz are right there to take him. And I, uh, I've been impressed with the way he's played and, what he, and the way he's handled himself so far. All right, there's Craig Bowlerjack. If you want to hear the entire conversation, go to 1280thezone.com. When we come back, BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return to Rice-Eccles Stadium for a big Pac-12 showdown against Arizona State as the Utes hope to keep their dreams of a Pac-12 title alive. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to check in with BYU Offensive Coordinator Aaron Roderick. An interesting game. BYU at Baylor. Both teams are 5-1. and one. BYU's former offensive coordinator, Jeff Grimes, is now Baylor's offensive coordinator, so it's not very hard for these defenses to figure out what they're going to face. They know. They faced it in practice. Grimes is going to know BYU's tendencies. BYU knows what Jeff Grimes is thinking, so how well can he execute when everybody is very well scouted? Uh, The other thing to know here is this Baylor defense, I know the Big 12 is known for offense, but we're six games into the season, and... Baylor's worst performance defensively was in a 31-29 win over Iowa State. In a sport where 30 points is an average day at the office, they've given up 29 once. They give up 18 points a game. That's ranked 21st in the nation. This defense is stingy. And we'll get to more on that with David Smoke coming up in the next segment. But A-Rod will have a couple things to say about it as well. Here's Aaron Roderick. So I wanted to start off with the philosophy question. I was kind of curious. Um, you know, as you go through a season, you start figuring, you know, teams start uh, scheming to try and stop what you want to do. I thought Boise State did a pretty good job on the off-tackle run that you'd had a lot of success with. They did a good job slowing that. As an offensive coordinator, what do you do to counter scheme, I guess? What do you do as teams try and, and take away things that you want to do? Um, 
Well, I, I don't really agree with your point. I didn't think they stopped that. I thought we, you know, we turned the ball over and we played poorly in the red zone, but we had a lot of success running wide zone like we usually do. Um, it was our best play Saturday and it's pretty much always our best play um, in the run game anyway. And, uh, but to, to, the, to the bigger part of your question, I think um, it's part of football is you got to have wrinkles and answers each week for things that people do. And last game wasn't really about that. And there, there wasn't, there, it wasn't about not having the answers or anything. It was about poor execution and turnovers. And um, we, you know, credit to them. They, they're playing defense, I guess. They, they, they played hard to, you know, get the ball out and stuff like that. But um, we've got plenty of answers and we have, our offense has things that fit together, plays that set up other plays. There's still lots of stuff that hasn't even been seen yet that's dialed up and ready to go when the time is right. And we won't have a shortage of answers. Well, and I was probably thinking of a few specific plays as opposed to the game in general. And that, yeah. that's, that's on me. That's, that's no, me not paying. It's not. But, the, but you're to, well, one point is we got stopped on fourth and two on one of our wide run plays. Right. Yeah. You know, that play, we'd been 100% all year on fourth down on that exact play. I mean, that's, that's been our go-to call. And we just didn't get it done on that play. We didn't block it well enough. The defense was exactly what we practiced and saw, thought we were going to get, and we just didn't get it done. And so it was a disappointing, uh, disappointing execution. Um, and then that play had a couple of answers built into it too as well. Uh, it had an RPO built in as well as a, the ability to check the play if it wasn't the right look. And we just – didn't make the play we've been making all year. It was, uh, you know, still eating at all of us. I also wanted to just talk, I mean, you talked about it on the coordinator's corner, but the, but having Grimes, the situation, you know, meeting with Jeff again and, you know, facing him on the other side, how much fun is that for you? I mean, this happens in college football all the time, but, you know, not necessarily always a year removed like this or less than a year. So how much fun is it to have this wrinkle and, and kind of unique aspect to this week's game? Um, it's not really fun. I mean, it's, it's fun when I get to talk to him, you know, after they win and after we win and we have a minute, Hey, good job. And, you know, we're texting or once in a while we'll call each other. That's fun. Uh, playing against each other is not fun at all. I don't, I don't really ever enjoy playing against my friends. We, we know we love, we love grimy. Um, and you know, this week he's on the other team, so we got to go do our best to try to win. So it's it's really not not a lot of fun. I, I mean, I'm gonna say hi to him before the game, and I'll give him a hug after. But uh, um, I don't enjoy I don't enjoy this at all. I don't enjoy going against my friends. It's it's this is too serious of a business for us. I mean, this is this is life and death to the coaches, you know. So the fun part is when we don't have to play each other and we get to call up and and uh, you know talk about the good times or or whatever. Coach, Kalani said last night in, in his coach's show that uh, Baylor-Romney was, was back in practice. Uh, yeah. How has he looked so far this week, and will he be available against Baylor? Um, he's, he's back at practice. Um, he hasn't taken as many reps as Conover, so right now um, it'll, I'm not sure yet if Conover will be too if, – if Baylor you – know, where, where Baylor will be in the pecking order. Uh, that, we still have another day of – practice we got we get a lot of reps on our Thursday practice it's pretty much uh, the whole the whole practice is pretty much just team reps so we'll make that determination after tomorrow but um, uh, all, all the quarterbacks are looking really good Jaron's 
Jaron's completely healthy now, ready to roll. Um, and uh, Conover's been getting a lot of good reps, and it's nice to have Baylor back out there. And I wanted to ask you, too, about uh, Puka Nakua. Feels like every single week he just continues to make improvement. What What's maybe the, 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 the potential that he has in his this BYU program? Because he's still a young guy. Yeah. What's the potential for Puka? Yeah, he's got – he has a really high ceiling. Um, he – first of all, he just has – uh, high, really high, uh, high talent level, you know, high, high ability. He's, he's got size, he's got speed. Uh, he breaks tackles. He's, he's a big, strong kid. Um, he's got good hands. He's a good route runner. He's just a good football player all around. And, uh, but what, what, what really I think is great about him is just the motor that he plays with. He, he's never tired. He plays hard every snap. He practices hard every day when we have to, we have to like calm him down in practice. And those type of players are rare. You know, when you have to tell a guy like, Hey, chill out a little bit, it's practice. That's a good thing. Uh, because you know, most players you have to kind of get them going at practice and he's just the opposite of that. And that's why he's good. You know, you combine that type of work ethic with, uh, you know, with, with a lot of ability, um, you know, that's a good combination. Alex and then Jay. Coach Roderick, uh, you guys are up there in the country in first half scoring and, um, and quite at the bottom of the list when it comes to second half scoring, um, you know, th throughout the season to, to, to what do you think you can attribute that disparity? Uh, just that we've been in, you know, f uh, five of our six games were where the, the entire fourth quarter was basically grind the clock and, and, uh, you know, eat as much clock as we can, run the ball. Uh, you know, most of those four of those five games, we were we were bleeding the entire clock, snapping it. You know, with two seconds left on purpose and trying to play team football. And we don't care about how we get a win. This program's about winning as a team. There's going to be some games where we need to play fast, and some games where we need to play slow. And once you get to that second half in the fourth quarter, we're huge. We're big in analytics here, and we follow those uh, religiously. And um, if, if the best strategy to win the game is to slow the game down and run clock, and we can do that. And if the best strategy is to play fast and be aggressive, then we can do that as well. That's one thing I like about our offense is I think we have the ability to win any type of game we need to win. And we've got – we have uh, – good skill players and we can throw the football and we can also get, we've got good physical players. We can run it. And so it just so happened that four of our five games, first five games were like that in the fourth quarter, especially, but in the second half in general, and each one had its own story. Right. But, um, you know, the Arizona state game and the Utah game, both, we had six, seven minute, couple of six, seven minute drives in there where we were keeping the ball away from the other team, eating a lot of clock, wearing them down and, either getting points or ending the game on the field, uh, trying to end the game on the field in victory formation. So that's what I would attribute that to. And, you know, uh, we'll see how the next one goes. And coach, you mentioned uh, earlier kind of playing against, playing against your friends. Obviously some coaches at Baylor were, were at BYU um, just last year. 
what do you think it's going to be like kind of are you going to do you think you'll see a similar offense to what you guys used to have um ab in terms of in baylor now like will you see from baylor something kind of similar to what you guys run because there are some guys who who left byu and went there and what do you think that's going to be like yeah, I've watched them play on TV, and and then just what I'm hearing from Mark, defensive coaches this week, uh, their offense is very similar to ours. There are a few differences. I think they've there's a few past concepts that they're doing that are a little different than what we do, but overall, most of it is very very similar. I think right down to a lot of the terminology is is the same, which that's not uncommon in football. There's enough enough uh, you know coaching tree situations in the game where you know former coaches that work together end up coaching against each other and you might have two offenses or two defenses that use a lot of the same terminology and um but yeah i think they're fairly similar and uh it'll be it'll be interesting jay go ahead hey aaron just on this notion of changing things are you talking about changing plays themselves or is it mostly terminology, the signs that you use? Can, what do you mean when you say you're changing things? Um, when did I say, did, you mean like what I said on, on that corner? corner. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Well just, uh, you know, so yeah, every, when you watch, when you, when you watch games on TV now, most, most offenses now are signaling plays into the game in some form or another. And, um, and, you know, so obviously those guys know exactly how we do it here. We know how they do it. So I'm sure they're having to adapt a little bit to what they're doing this week. And we have to adapt a little bit. Just It's just part of the covert, you know, part of the game. But um, we'd been planning for this since ever since they left. So it's you know, on the one hand, it's we're doing something a little different this week than we've done in other games. But on the other hand, we've been planning for it so long, it's not a big deal. Our players have handled it really well this week in practice. But, but yes, I was referring to the operation of how we get the play call into the game uh, to our players. Thanks. Yep. Jake and then Mitch. Hey, Rod, just part of the background noise, but I wanted to ask you, the last two weeks you haven't had Mason Wick at your disposal. How important is he in your offense? I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, that, was a, that was a huge loss, not having him. He has been one of our best players all year. Um, he's a very unique player. I think defenses have to prepare for uh, some of the things he does are di you know, just different than what you see week in and week out. He's, he's in a way he's kind of a throwback guy, but at the same time he's very skilled and does some some really skilled things as well that that uh, you know just he changes our offense when we have him and we're going to have him this week so it's going to be nice to have him back. I just wanted to ask you about how a guy like Campbell Barrington is done. I think you guys did the high on him since he showed up. See why you how's he done a right tackle so far? Um. He's going to be a great player, and he's he's already playing really well, surprisingly well for how how you know how new he is, and uh, we haven't really skipped a beat since he since he started playing. And um, what I love about him most is his athleticism and his versatility. He can he can we can play him at guard or center on either side of the ball. I mean, yeah, left or right, guard or center, or excuse me, guard or tackle. Sorry, he can play guard or tackle, left or right. And uh, he just creates a lot of versatility. So if we have an injury, you know, uh, anywhere, 
he can slide over and the, the, we can always just put the next best player in the game. We don't have to necessarily put the next best left guard or the next best right tackle or whatever. He gives us the ability to sort of shuffle the deck and make sure that our best five available players are on the field. And the, those guys are really important. And um, he's got a really, really bright future. Coach, what are traits of, of Dave Aranda defenses? I, I know you were at Utah and you faced Utah State in 2012. I, I think you're an analyst with BYU in 2017 when, when BYU faced a, a LSU that year. What are traits of an Aranda defense? Um, well, first of all, he, you know, they have a D, D coordinator. Uh, there seems, it seems to have a, he has a pretty good impact on what they're doing as well. I don't think it's just Dave Aranda, but uh, obviously Coach sure. Aranda has been a great defensive coach his whole career. And um, I've been aware of him for a long time. I, I know a lot of guys that have worked with him at various places. And um, I would say just the, the thing that stands out is just how squared away they are. They don't make mistakes. They play really, really hard. Um, there's no gimme throws. Just, you know, you, you, when you watch the film, it's just like everything. You earn every inch you get in the run game and in the passing game. And um, they're just very disciplined, very good at what they do, and they play really, really hard. It's a physical team that flies around. And uh, 11 guys every, every snap playing as hard as they can, and we're in for a big challenge. This is, this is going to be a tough, tough defense. And, and finally, for, for me, uh, you know, ball security, I'm sure it's, it's emphasized to the guys – as much as possible uh, in any practice, but has it taken on a, a greater focus this week after what took place against Boise? It's impossible to focus on it more than we already always do. And that's why we, we, we focus on it so much. That's why we didn't fumble for five games. And then, you know, we just had, had a bad game with some fumbles in it. Um, you know, we were, we were bound to fumble eventually, I suppose, but, um, I don't know how you could f focus on it more than we already did before that happened. And we will continue to focus on it as always. It's, it's the number one priority we talk about every day. It's a huge part of every single practice. Every practice involves ball security um, drills. It involves, I mean, it, it, I, I, I could go on and on about how much we talk about it um, and how much we practice it. So, but rather than, you know, it's, it's, it still stings that that, was, that 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 happened on Saturday. I mean, we went five games without one. Not many teams have done that. And so we're just going to get back to work, and we trust those guys. And I, I told this I – th I think I, I can't remember if I said this to the media or not, but I told it to our team on Monday that Peeney had carried the ball uh, 445 times and had fumbled twice in 445 touches in, in three and a half seasons. And then he just happened to have two on Saturday. And so, uh, and Tyler had carried the ball 450 something, 450 something times and fumbled three times. And he, then he had one Saturday. So these are guys, these are reliable guys that had a bad day. That's how I look at it. And, and uh, we just keep working the way we always do. And we'll, we'll take care of business. There is Aaron Roderick, BYU's offensive coordinator. When we come back, David Smoke, radio host in Texas, covers Baylor, and he is next, and he has got several insightful things to say about Baylor. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. 
moves when I break it down, down, down. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a trip to the Lone Star State for the Cougars as BYU heads to wake up for a massive showdown against Baylor as the Cougars look to knock off a future Big 12 opponent. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by David Smoke, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now Pay Letter promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. David, good morning. How are we doing in Utah? We are doing quite well. We are very intrigued by this game. A couple of 5-1 and one teams ready to face off. And a lot has been made here of uh, Jeff Grimes, former BYU offensive coordinator, going to Baylor, and now the teams know each other and recognize each other's offense on film, right down in some of the finer points. They've all had Jeff Grimes yell something across the practice field about details or in a film session, so they've all got that ringing in their ears. From the Baylor perspective, how much of a difference has he made? Well, uh, the, the numbers, the stats, the results, they say it all. Um, and Eric Mateos as well, uh, bringing what he brought uh, as an offensive line coach because those two basically are like they think on the same page. And and I, I, I cannot explain, and I don't know what happens this weekend or going forward because their schedule will be – uh, a tough little uh, slate coming up, you know, with what they have, including with Brigham Young. But last year they could not run the ball at all. I mean, I honestly, they had, I think after the third game this year, uh, maybe in the fourth game this year, they had as much yards rushing as they had all of last year. Now they played nine games, and, and they weren't, but they were two and seven. They could not run the ball. They could not make a push. They could not get a third and one. They could not get a fourth and one, and they surely weren't going to get a third down in six or seven, and they just didn't have anything, and it was just a mess. And I don't know if it was because of the lack of spring drills, because of talent, because of uh, a disconnect between Joe Wickline, the previous offensive line coach. I don't know, but you know they're they're five and one. They're a win away, and I know that when you start to be good as a program uh, under the run that they had under Art Bryles. Uh, the first year they became bowl eligible in 2010 was a big deal because it had been 17 years. But they've also had 1-11 and, and 2-7 and seven recently, and so getting bowl eligible is a big deal, and that's what they're going to win away from. And, and I, I think that's the next step. Now, they want to do much more than that, and the whole thing comes down to the fact that Abram Smith, they moved him from linebacker to running back. Uh, they needed that, that one cut, that wide zone type mentality, they have the talent in Tristan Ebner, uh, Tristan, Tristan Ebner, excuse me, who could get loose at anything. But I mean, it's been huge. A- Abram Smith's averaging over seven yards a carry. Uh, he, um, it, it's it's mind-boggling. Now they they have to do it week in and week out, but it is mind-boggling. Oklahoma State kind of roughed them up a little bit two weeks ago, but they have a very very good front against the run. They they still broke a long run on fourth down with Abram Smith going, I think, fifty-four yards, but. That combination, it's been a breath of fresh air. 
And I think everyone's thrilled with what they've seen, considering they're only six games into what they're doing, although he's been around since early January. I love the fact that through these six games, the quarterback has had zero interceptions. That just stands out big time, taking care of the ball. And I thought for you, you're seeing all the throws. How much are they trying to get it downfield? Is it a bunch of safe passes? What's the reason why he has no interceptions? Well, I I think a lot of it is, one, the protection's better, although he's been hit. And he's one of those that will stay in the pocket, Gary Bohannon, until – like somebody basically knocks him down. In some cases, you almost wish that he would take off and run. And that's another big change, that they've changed it up because the running game then protects the quarterback in the passing game. He's thrown it around now, and he's, he's had maybe a tip pass or two where he might have gotten fortunate. He's thrown it deep. Last week, they had a big, quick 75-yard touchdown, but it was probably more of a 15-, 20-yard play. Taekwon Thornton get from Florida. Uh, turned it, and then boom, he's gone. But they've thrown it deep, and, and that's also a breath of fresh year because they rarely could do that last year as well. Charlie Brewer was not going to be somebody that could sling it you know, consistently across the field uh, on deep outs, or he's not going to be able to hit too many post patterns. He did early in his career at Baylor, but then just started taking so many hits, and, and then also the lack of running game and protection. But Gary Bohannon can make most every throw. I mean, that's, that's, that's an immediate change this year as well. And, and, and that's also helped Jeff Grimes in, in what they're doing on offense. But, yeah, it, it, I didn't even realize that. You know, I really know the Baylor will also defensively, they'll force some turnovers. They'll get some picks. There's no question. But I didn't even realize that until somebody brought that up. I'm like, what? But, you know, Gary, this is really the first time he's ever had numerous staff. So he was part of a Matt Rule team on occasion that would come in and do a short yardage. Everyone thought of him more as a wildcat guy. And I mean, they they have at times been able to kind of, I don't want to say uh, that the word is not dummy down the offense because that's unfair to carry. That's not it at all. They've just kind of been very careful, but then they've opened it up on occasion. And, you know, we know that's that's going to change. I mean, they, that, that's an impossible stat. But, yeah, he can make all the throws. He, he's got some weapons. They now have the the emergence of the transfer from Dartmouth in Drew Estrada, the Ivy League guy who was not really a healthy early in the year. He gives them another possession receiver. They've got the deep threat in Tyquan Thornton and R.J. Sneed. Uh, it's not like they throw a lot of deep passes, but last week they started to open it up. and They've opened it up a little bit before, but that's a crazy stat and, a, and an incredible stat for a guy that really hasn't played much football entering this season. So just looking at the stats, I mean, they've got five guys in the receiving core who, including their tight end, uh, excuse excluding their tight end, he's the one guy of the top six receivers who doesn't have a 40-yard play. And you say they don't throw it deep much. So is it a bigger deal for them going over the top, or is it a bigger deal for them to hit on short and medium passes and then the other team doesn't tackle well, takes a poor angle, whatever, and they break a big play off that? They've done that. R.J. Sneed, uh, in a game earlier this year, caught like a quick little out, got a block, broke a tackle, and went, I want to think, 70-plus yards, whatever it might have been. I can't remember the exact distance. Uh, And what I loved about it is you saw guys running downfield with him, making blocks. Any long play, running play, or passing play, there's going to be a wide receiver, most likely, unless it's just one of those fourth-and-one short-yarded situations where you break the line of scrimmage and you're gone. Uh, the, The play last week to Tyquan Thornton, uh, was a again like a 15 or 20 yard throw. He turns, gets away, gone. They've hit the deep post to Tyquan Thornton as well. 
Uh, ben Sims, the tight end, has caught a few passes in that 30-plus range. In fact, had one, I think, last week in, in, in the win that they had against West Virginia. They can air it out. He can throw the deep post. He can throw the deep fade. But it's not like when, when they had that, that constant just scare the hell out of your defense and secondary by throwing it over the top under the, the years of Art Bryles. This has been more of a pro-style offense, just like Brigham Young. And they have receivers who have become dynamic after the catch. And last year, other than R.J. Snead, Tyquan Thornton was pretty much not even existent. Uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact they just couldn't get him the ball. And and so now they've got guys. And, and, and yet, you know, that's kind of like turnovers on the defensive side. It's kind of contagious. It's it's become contagious. Now everybody wants to be that guy that goes 50-60. Of course, everybody does. But it's, if you get one of those, two of those early in the year where you actually catch what is a 60-70 yard touchdown, but it's a 50-yard run after the catch, that becomes contagious, and I think that's happened as well. They'll throw it over the top, but they just don't live and die with that. When I look at an offensive coordinator who's an old offensive lineman, it doesn't really surprise me that they're able to run the ball because that's what those guys want to do. And I look at both of these guys, the top two running backs, they're having all sorts of success there. Uh, How much do you think that it's just the philosophy versus what they had last year that is leading them to have success at running the game, running the ball? They had uh, they they they've had two transfers. Grant Miller, young man, came in, uh, you know, a, a transfer from Vanderbilt, and then they uh, Jacob Gall came in from Buffalo. And everyone knows Buffalo last year had one of the best rushing attacks in the country. Their coach now at Kansas, and he brought a couple of linemen with him to KU. Uh, I, I think the combination of an offensive coordinator who's an offensive line coach and his running buddy Eric Mateos at the same time, uh, and they went to the wide zone. Uh, and, and it's given, the, and they found the people who can run it. They, that they've taken what they have as offensive linemen. Now they had to change a lot, and including what people had to do. They got a left tackle and Connor Galvin is really, really good, and they have a couple of transfers who are you know grown men uh, that have come in and given them a little oomph as well. And, and then other guys just got better. I remember having a conversation. It might have been either during or after spring drills with Eric Mateos. I said. Tell me, you know, some coaches, it's weird. They come in, and they don't even watch film for the previous year. They don't want to see bad habits. They don't want to have any kind of pre-misconceptions or whatever. He told me he did not think last year or the line that they had after spring drills was a talent issue. He thought it was just a commitment issue. Like, some of these guys had their clocks ticking. The left guard in Xavier Newman has been hanging around. He had to play early as a freshman when they had that 1-11 team. I mean, he's like an 18-, 19-year-old kid playing college football on the offensive line, which is basically unheard of. And he thought it was more of a commitment issue. In other words, they had to get tougher. They also – and they, they changed strength and conditioning, Coach. That makes a difference as well. There's just something about that. You know, some guys can get to players and some can't. And, and then also on top of that, those some of these offensive linemen were just kind of there. And I think Mateos – was able to kind of get inside their head. Some of it's psychological. Some of it with you learn how to coach individuals differently, and they've just kind of become pretty good. Uh, and and now the wide zone that that changes up uh, people running. It's not like that's new, but it's different. And 
it's it's is allowed what they have with who they have, which maybe they weren't able to just overpower people with what they had. Now they can get the defense kind of sliding, have the cut back, the one cut with Ebner or uh, with uh, uh, Abram Smith, and it's working. I, I I think Jeff Grimes's mentality. What is it? Um, uh, he wants it to be violent. He wants the offense. Use that word as a term. I can't remember what it was, but it's violent. And when I heard him say that, now sometimes coaches say that, that doesn't mean you can do that, but that's what we never, whoever covered Baylor or covered Baylor as an opponent, whatever, there was no violence. The defense played that way, but the offense just had nothing. It was almost like a pillow fight. And that's not to be negative and try to be critical of young men, but it was almost the way they played on the offensive line. They were manhandled, and it was kind of like they just had nothing. No hope at all. Grimes came in and said, that's not going to happen anymore. We're going to change it. And along with Mateos, that's what they've done. Yeah, we've heard that about teams that throw the ball a lot. Uh, when you're pass blocking, you're not that aggressive. You're not that violent. He likes the uh, phrase, R, the letters RVO, reliably yeah. violent offense. Yeah, reliant, Yeah, right, exactly right. He said that very early. We had him on right after he was hired. And when I heard that, I was like, I just like the sound of that. Now, hey, listen, we, we weren't sure – we watched spring drills, and there were still some hits and misses, and, and there's going to be times they run into a brick wall. Well, now they have a quarterback who can air it out a little bit more. And, and, and you got, again, they've made some changes. Two new transfers, grown men, come in to help you with your depth and even starters on the offensive line. You take a linebacker who was an all-state running back at West Texas at, at Abilene High School. You move him from what was running back to linebacker, and then somebody says, we need somebody that can run this type of offense at the back position other than Tristan Ebner. They lost John Levitt to Penn State, who would have been perfect for this. And they, you know, that's a coaching decision. That's noticing what you might have. And also someone went to Dave Aranda and said, you know Abram Smith played running back in high school, had like 5,000 yards. For them to make that decision, he's having a very good start to this season, was also a great coaching decision as well. David Smoke joining us, host on Sikkim 365 Radio. This Baylor defense in a sport where 30 points is an average number for an offense to score, they've given up 29. That's a season high in a 31-29 win over Iowa State. They've given up a little less than 18 points a game, which is 21st in the country. What is going to be the biggest problem here for the BYU offense to solve with the Baylor defense? They're really, really fast. Uh, and again, sometimes size beats speed. Sometimes speed overwhelms size. So that's going to be fun to watch. Uh, I uh, they they pick off passes. They they bring people from different angles. Uh, they have that kind of hybrid. I they, I they call it like the jack position. Heck, it might be called the star. It's a star position. You know, everybody has their own little terminology for kind of that hybrid linebacker safety position. Uh, they're they're really very disruptive. They have a defensive a nose tackle uh, in, in Siaka Ika. He came in. He's a transfer from LSU, 350-whatever-you-want-to-call-him-pound guy that started the last two games to make some plays. Made a huge play against Iowa State, a deflection for an interception. But he had a couple of sacks last week, and they went against West Virginia and got really disruptive. He kind of is the motor. Now, Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie, 2-8. Uh, and eight, they're the ones that really are, are the big play guys that, that really are the ones you have to worry about because they're both coming from different angles. But the big nose tackle inside, you guys know that. If you have somebody that can kind of help control or take up some people inside, that lets everybody else, especially if you have speed run. They have a ball hawk secondary. 
That doesn't mean they haven't been beaten. Uh, they did get pushed around by Oklahoma State, who ran the ball right at them and hurt them quite a bit. In fact, beat them up in the first half. But I think that kind of challenged, in a lot of ways, kind of their manhood. And I think that they, they had to watch that the, the next day, and I think that kind of helped them get uh, kind of fired up for what they had to do against West Virginia, who has struggled running the ball, and they struggled against Baylor as well. Brigham Young established the line of scrimmage. We know that's what the, it's just like it's not a mirror image of what both teams are doing, but it's very similar to me. Whoever can run the ball most effectively, uh, obviously, there's always the intangibles. But against the Baylor defense, they did. Iowa State ran the ball well. Brees Hall, who's an All-American type guy, ran the ball pretty well. Oklahoma State ran the ball pretty well. So if Brigham Young can get that, and they've got the running back that we know is so solid, just kind of a grinder. Uh, so to me, that's what Brigham Young's going to have to be able to do because if you do that, then then maybe then Hall can can make the throws he needs to make uh, wherever he or whoever is playing the quarterback position this week can make the plays that they need to make to what are uh, and Dave Aranda mentioned this uh, a deep set of wide receivers. So it's going to be fun. I, I think it's a I think this is going to be a knockdown drag out football game that might actually have some points in it. But I, I think that's Brigham Young's got to be able to establish a running game. And last week, West Virginia couldn't do that. So what's going to be a bigger attraction Saturday afternoon in Waco, BYU, Baylor, or Magnolia Way? <laughs> oh, my God. I'll tell you this. In, in 2010, when I arrived in Waco, and I've been through Waco, I've done games here before, uh, you know, it really was a city that struggled. And there's been things that have happened here that have not been great. Um, and then RG3 comes along. And Brittany Grider in that 40 you know, women's basketball team, and she's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime player. And it, it kind of brought some energy to this city. But uh, honestly, wherever I would travel, like every year I'm fortunate to go do the show for a week, wherever the Super Bowl's played. And, and I remember the first time I was on the road, the first Super Bowl I covered when I got here in 2010, you know, there was a few people that brought up a couple of the tragedies in Waco. The next year I traveled, they said, hey, tell us about RG3 and Brittany Grider. Now wherever I go, tell us about Chip and Joanna and, and the silos in Magnolia. And, I mean, it, is, it, has, re, it has energized. The, 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 the sports athletic teams at Baylor in the early parts of the 2010 uh, decade energized the city, brought some people from Waco that maybe were always kind of felt separated from Baylor. They always called it. Back in the day, the Baylor, Baylor bubble, it brought the community. Get, people love to see people win. People love dynamic players. Well, there's not much more dynamic than Robert Griffin III, uh, who's broadcasting the game this weekend, and Brittany Griner, who's in the WNBA Finals. But business-wise, the facelift of Waco, Texas, McLean Stadium, for example, which is you know was built and started in 2014, and, and what they've done downtown Waco, and they got a lot of work to do. And the construction up and down 35, which runs right through the spine of the city, is just a mess. But that business, what they've done, has completely changed the face of downtown Waco. And now that is as big an attraction as anything that has. And there's others, but that one right there, no question. It's made a big difference in Waco's economy. I don't think... I can help the economy in this area. Maybe I'll be there for some games one day. I might be able to help that way. Magnolia Lane isn't going to do it for me. It's a, it's, a, it's a hard place to get into, and if you walk it, you walk up to it, and there's these two big like metal 
silos that just stick right out of the ground. And they've turned that thing into a business that's like so mul- – and, of course, the TV shows and stuff like that. It's incredible. If they put their name on a toilet, they'll sell it. it, it it's uh, – I mean, it's, it's, it's insane and in, in a good way. And uh, people have flocked from all over the place. It's amazing. And because of that, then, of course, you have to build more hotels. And there's 55 more hotels, it seems like, that were here than 10 years ago. It's, it's fun. I'll tell you what, Waco's had a lot of bad things. Waco takes a lot of shots. It's not what anyone – someone hasn't been here in five or six years. They would be blown away by what they see now, other than, again, the, the constant construction on I-35, which is a disaster. <laughs> All right, David, we'll leave it there. We appreciate you joining the show once again and looking forward to the Big 12 and talking to you again down the road. Let me tell you something, guys, and I mean this sincerely. Our talk show back at the end of July when all that went down with Texas and Oklahoma and the SEC, our talk show on YouTube exploded, and a lot of it had to do with the Big 12 trying to survive. And I'm telling you right now, it is so many people are thrilled with Brigham Young being a part of the Big 12, basically almost like now, like Cincinnati now. Uh, and and it's, it's, it's something yeah. that I think this weekend is almost a celebration in a way. First time they played since 84, and also the factor on the schedule the same year that the all heck broke loose. I, uh, I think it's great. I, I talked to Grant Tapp, the former Baylor coach, about the last time they played in 83 and 84. Uh, this is, this is going to be a, a celebration. I don't know who wins going to be a hell of a game, but I do know this. I think everyone really, really looks forward to the best non-conference game they've had at McLean Stadium or in Waco in a long, long time, and the fact that Brigham Young's going to be a part of the conference. People are thrilled with it. David, thank you very much. We'll talk to you again down the thank road. You. Enjoy the game. You too. David Smoke, radio host from Texas. Sikkim 365, joining us right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next.